0: Welcome to the CTO podcast and I hear everything production. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's chief technology officers. Looking to discover what it takes to succeed as a CTO, then sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating evolution of the world of technology leadership. Here's the host of the CTO podcast, the founder of seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin.
1: Welcome to the CTO podcast, where we explore the worlds of chief technology officers as they manage the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of technologists in the C-suite. I'm your host and the founder of seven CTOs, Etienne de Bruin, And today we're going to hear about how artificial intelligence will transform the IT industry. Joining us is Richard Whitehead, who is the CTO Chief Evangelist at MoogSoft, Inc., which ensures uptime using machine learning and advanced correlation to detect incidents before they happen. As pioneers of using AI for service assurance, they allow you to resolve with confidence, get time back, and innovate more. Yesterday, Richard and I talked about the application of AI techniques to IT ops, and we went down the chat GPT rabbit hole and natural language processing. Today, we're going to continue our conversation and discuss the impact of AI on digital companies' carbon footprints. Okay, here's my conversation with Richard Whitehead, the CTO and Chief Evangelist at Movesoft Inc. Richard, yesterday was cool. Thanks for being back with us. You're welcome. Good to be back. So Moogsoft isn't a play on the Moog, is it? No, it's not. Although when the company
0: was named and was being founded, I I understand they did reach out to the Moog family to say if it was okay if we used the, the shortened form Moog informally, and they were fine.
1: Excellent. And so you joined as CTO? I joined as chief evangelist. Okay. And are you CTO? We have two CTOs in the company.
0: I am one of them, and my focus is on the area of observability.
1: Got it, just tell our audience what that is.
0: So observability is essentially an extension of traditional monitoring that allows you to, to have a very holistic view of whatever application or digital experience you're trying to deliver. Very naively, what observability is, it's the addition of tracing to traditional monitoring and log analysis. So we internally and also externally, we use an acronym called MELT which is metrics, events, logs and traces. And that's sort of the, the universe of, of observability.
1: That is a great segue from yesterday's conversation because I was gonna ask you, in this world of clustering and using NLP to improve models instead of adjusting code, how can CTOs listening to this see this as in a way to, to spot trends that is revealed in the matrix of their log files, but is not ostensibly visible when they're doing filtering or you know something that's lurking just beneath the surface of those log files. How does one approach that ostensibly with AI? So one of the techniques that we're seeing in the
0: industry is the analysis of logs to look for particular messages. And the individual message in a log file may not be useful. Generally speaking, log messages are very poor quality sources, and people tend to only look at them really when they're trying to diagnose a problem. So we have already identified a problem, can we go back into the logs and look to see what the underlying cause was around the time it happened? So trying to make more proactive use of that sort of corpus of log messages, which can be very expensive to store, people say, okay, let's, let's look at the frequency of log messages and look to see if that changes and try and determine whether that's an interesting signal. In other words, there's a message that appears continuously, but has suddenly spiked. So we would normally see that message two or three times a day, and we're seeing it 100 times in in a day. That seems to be something that would require investigation, because either something has changed, you have a problem, or maybe you've made a code push, and uh, that's the new normal. But yes. Trying to pull more information and trying to extract more value out of a large log file is, is uh, it's definitely something that we're applying machine learning to solve as an industry. The same is true of, of anything that can be essentially condensed down to a rate. You now have the opportunity to say, okay, what's normal for this? And is there something that we can detect? A good example of that would be taking into account periodicity. So something that follows a fairly consistent trend. Do you see that where anything has any form of interaction with human beings, you tend to have some kind of diurnal pattern evolving, where either it's something like, you know, CPU utilization, that will spike in the middle of the day, or the number of calls coming in, or the number of clicks you get on a website tend to be higher during the day and lower in the late at night. And that creates a pattern. And looking for changes and deviations from that pattern can be a little bit challenging because you know, that's definitely not something a static threshold would be able to solve, or even it will even sort of cause problems with algorithms that are trying to determine standard deviation, because at the end of the day, a diurnal pattern really defeats the concept of standard deviation.
1: Got it. And so again, the training of the models I guess, what is your team comprised of? Do you have data scientists that are adjusting models constantly? Like in my mind, when I listen to you, I'm thinking there are endless numbers, endless patterns, endless deviations. Like it's just, it just sounds like an unsolvable problem without like a super intelligence to be able to see all the different things that, that stand out from the noise that is log files. Right. The problem we encounter at
0: the level of an IT operations standpoint is that no two infrastructures are ever the same. Now, it's possible you can see repeating patterns in infrastructure. We'll encounter uh, Kubernetes running on Amazon EKS. Now, that's a fairly common pattern. A lot of people deploy their code using that pattern. But once that code has been deployed, the result's very different. So, one user's may behave very differently, even though it's the same underlying technology. Due to the nature of their application, the behavior could be completely different. So from our standpoint, that rather precludes the ability to pre-train a model as a company for an environment that we we can't predict. So most of our technology, and yes, we do have a data science team, what they're doing is they're determining the appropriate algorithm to apply to the customer's data. So there's no pre-trained models. It's technology that is either unsupervised. So you just start running, the customer starts sending the data and the algorithms are going to operate on the data that it sees. Uh, I think yesterday I mentioned entropy is one example of that. Uh, So that's something that will train on the fly as the data comes flowing in. Now, there are some sort of semi-supervised techniques that can be used, but again... Uh, We as a company are not pre-training that. So an example that I alluded to yesterday was probable root cause. So given a cluster of related alerts, the question then one wants to ask is, which one is the root cause? Now, as a practitioner, I can look at that list and make the determination myself, but it wouldn't it be nice if the software could do that for me. So an example of a semi-supervised technique is our implementation of probable root cause where a neural network can be used to look at that pattern of events and label the alerts as being symptomatic or, or a root cause. You can have one or more root causes, possibly. And you can do that sort of straight out of the box. You can give it a starting point, which is we're going to assume that the highest criticality alert that came in first is the root cause. But that's actually a very naive model because the way IT works, there are events that are coming from applications which are critical in the context of that application or or a piece of network equipment or something like that. But in the context of a high availability network or a much larger application, no, it's not really critical. That's the vendor's indication of what might be happening. So we give the operator the ability to to nudge it in the right direction. That's where the semi-supervised part comes in. So if we make an assessment that this is root cause and get it wrong, an operator can say, no, that's actually symptomatic. This is the root cause.
1: Got it, and that's the supervised part of it. That's
0: the supervised part, yeah.
1: Okay, so then your team could conceivably be the team that helps a large enterprise sift through if the labels are indeed correct or incorrect.
0: So we would typically not do that, because what we're doing is representing the the customer with the technology to do that, but they are the subject matter expert for their environment. They know that in their infrastructure, a switch failing is not a major issue because it's a redundant network.
1: Whereas for another company, that might be catastrophic.
0: It might be catastrophic. It might be a single point of failure. So we, we can't predict that. We don't know the architecture of the environment. That's not something that we do. A common question we get asked is, can soft take the model information from an existing customer and uh, basically apply that to the product so that other users of the product can leverage that information? And the answer is no, for the reason I gave, which is your environment may look the same. You're an airline and you're running the same technology But no, your data is completely different because you're using a completely different application. So the likelihood of that information working in your environment is is highly, highly unlikely. And it would probably require so much tweaking and modification that you're better off just letting the unsupervised machine learning do its job for you. And that doesn't even begin to move on to the the concerns about privacy and, and intellectual property.
1: I'm gonna resist the urge to ask a follow up there because I wanna to get to the carbon footprint idea. Can you speak to that?
0: Yes, so basically we talk a lot about the value of big data and you know, I have spoken about the concern of, lo- of storing large amounts of log data that may or may not ever be looked at. And that's something that we feel very strongly about that uh, what that results in is basically a large amount of data at rest being stored and that's expensive. And that's something that you know our customers are concerned about. They're okay, well, there's a cost associated with that. But in more recent times, the conversation has turned not just to the cost and the financial implications of storing data, but the environmental implications of storing large amounts of data. And as is common with so many things, this is becoming front of mind for large organizations due to legislation. So in Europe, very soon, companies are going to be required to include and start reporting on their carbon footprint as part of their financial disclosures. And uh, that's a a very immature science and very difficult. And in many cases, they're going to use some very crude metrics, such as your IT spend, if you have a very large IT spend, you probably have a very large carbon footprint as part of your IT infrastructure. If you don't spend much money, then you probably don't have a large carbon footprint. Well, that's a very crude metric. For us, you know, the question is, well, okay, it changes the conversation from, do I store everything just in case? Or do I try and be a little bit more selective about what I store? Do I store the process data rather than the raw data? Do I even store the process data, or do I just process it in flight? So an example of that would be, if you are developing a model for, say, periodicity, if you're developing a model, once you have that model, do you really need the raw data? Or do you just need to store the exceptions? Because as long as everything's behaving as normal, what's there to look at? You know, there's nothing to see. You know, it's, it's only when something goes wrong that an operator gets involved, creates an incident, and go in and say, well, what happened? You know, Is my data lower than anticipated, or is it a spike? What's the anomaly? So that's another area where we feel we can do better rather than just simply solve everything with the data lake. Can we be a bit more specific? Maybe data puddles with small rivulets in between them or something <laughs> like
1: that, if you, if you want to use that analogy. Data puddles. I don't think I've ever heard that am i
0: <laughs> I don't think I can claim that's my idea, but I heard it once and I liked it.
1: I love it. I think the lights just went on for me in the sense that an enterprise or any company for that matter can see their log data as training data for models and and once you like you said, once you have the model, do you really need to keep all the training data and like you said, just store the exceptions or you know, use the models on new data, and then you can see what, or like you said, in flight, like see what's going on. I love that. Yes,
0: the term we use internally is, you know, we want to we want to process data in motion, not data at rest, because, and that's consistent with the way we say handle, you know, the events, the machine learning is acting on the data in real time before it's persisted
1: to disk. So that gives you the opportunity of not persisting. it. I love that. I really do, and I think for any CTO listening to this, the log files, what to do with the data, should I store data just in case, what a wonderful paradigm shift to just say, no, that data is learning data and create the models, validate the models, supervise those models, and then you, you store kilobytes instead of gigabytes. I produced an article a while
0: back where I talked about some of these concepts. And in doing that, I realized something that I hadn't thought about, because obviously the tendency, particularly in the industry I'm in, the tendency is to talk about the impact of machine learning and artificial intelligence on this. I realized that there's a much more fundamental concern. When I look at some of my my customers' environments and some of the technologies they're using, the machine-to-machine interface You'd think it was something useful like maybe using JSON payloads or even hopefully not XML because that's horrible. That's just my opinion. But shockingly, I'm amazed by the sheer number of systems that are using email as a machine-to-machine communication mechanism. And that's quite staggering. You know, Never mind machine learning. Let's get rid of the email, shall we? Because an email is not a particularly efficient payload. When you're looking at time series data, the the emphasis on things like, uh, let's use something like Prometheus Remote Write or Open Telephony Line Protocol or something like that, what they're doing there is they're taking large batches of data, serializing it to make it even more efficient, then compressing it and then sending it. So all the emphasis is on trying to reduce the payload in order to deal with large volumes of data. Email is the exact opposite of that you're taking some very basic machine data and then wrapping it probably in an email encapsulation protocol, which is, contains all sorts of wonderful things. You can do all sorts of magnificent formatting and include attachments and all sorts of things that a human would find value in, but the receiving machine is not in the slightest bit interested in images and funky fonts and, and things like that. You know, it, it doesn't care. It just wants the information. And I spent enough time working with financial institutions to know that email has another uh, hidden impact, which is a lot of financial institutions have governance requirements that require them to keep emails for a certain amount of time for you know, forensic liability and all that sort of stuff. So if you have a mandated retention policy of seven years or something for an email, you really don't want to be sending millions of them just to allow a a management application to to communicate. So if if you have a very, very small volume of data, sending a message to an alert or something to a human in their inbox, sure, that's fine. It generally doesn't scale. By the time an organization is talking to, having a conversation with us, they've realized that notification via email is not scalable and they, they need a management platform that can do that for them. So if you've reached that level of scale, you need to turn the emails off and use a, use a more modern protocol. That's my public service announcement.
1: <laughs> I love that. I think I actually worked with a few companies who not only would they use an inbox dedicated to log files, they would attach Zapier events to those email inboxes. And I was just, man, this is Breakpoint upon breakpoint upon breakpoint. I mean, it is crazy.
0: Right. That is that is not an appropriate technology for a 21st century technology company.
1: Okay. That wraps up this episode of the CTO Podcast. Thanks to Richard Whitehead, CTO, Chief Evangelist at MOOC Soft Inc., for joining us. If you would like to contact Richard, you find his link to LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is rwhitehead or visit his company website at moogsoft.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to ctopod.com, where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of technical strategy and leadership in the C-suite, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the CTO podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at 7CTOs on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is at DeBruin. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of CTO brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that if things aren't breaking, your company isn't growing.